Well, good evening. Great. Let me. Uh... We had such a good time at the men's retreat back in when was that? September. August. August. Oh, August. We had such a great time uh, back in August, uh, and I think we all got encouraged. And I got to know some of the guys here at the fellowship. But you know, I came away thinking, boy, oh boy. Those women who are married to those men, they must be really special to put up with that group of guys. And so I've been so excited about coming tonight just to get to see you ladies. And uh, this is a very special group of ladies, I have no doubt whatsoever. Amen. (laughs) I want to say one thing before I get started. It's kind of a a disclaimer here. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, I bit into a Panera bread. Do you have Panera bread here? No, no. Well, I bit into a sandwich. Um, uh, Just a tame-looking, innocent-looking little sandwich. I bit into that sandwich, and I broke my tooth. And I just want to let you know that most people in Georgia have all their teeth. It's it's not a common thing among Georgians. Uh, But I broke my tooth, and so I'm in the middle of kind of getting one. I'm going to get one, don't worry. But um, rather than me being self-conscious about it tonight, and you keep thinking, man, that guy doesn't have all his teeth. I just want to come clean about it from the very beginning. Great. Let me move this. Well, I want to talk to you tonight about a familiar story, a story from Genesis chapter 29. I don't know if you have your Bibles. That's okay. I can read Uh, the text. I want to read the first 20 verses of Genesis chapter 29. And the title of what I want to talk to you about tonight is Loving Your Leah. Loving Your Leah. Why don't we pray and ask the Lord's blessing before we get started. Father, we thank you so much for tonight. We thank you for Calvary Chapel, El Paso. We thank you for Pastor Charlie and Cece and pray your blessing on this church, Lord, in wonderful ways. Lord, I pray that tonight, Lord, you'll encourage the couples. Lord, there's not much in our society today that encourages marriage. But Lord, we know your word does, and we know that you are for marriage. You are for our marriage. And I pray tonight, Lord, that you would speak to us, encourage us, and really minister in our hearts tonight. And Lord, bring us closer together and give us some tools, some thoughts uh, to help us, Lord, in the future. We love you. We ask for your blessing by your spirit, and through your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 29. I'll start in verse 1. So Jacob went on his journey and came to the land of the people of the east. And he looked and saw a a well in the field. And behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they watered the flocks. A large stone was on the well's mouth. Now all the flocks would be gathered there, and they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. And Jacob said to them, My brethren, where are you from? And they said, We are from Haran. And then he said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? And they said, Oh, we know him. And so he said to them, Is he well? And they said, He is well, and look, his daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep. 
Then he said, look, it is still high day. It is not time for the cattle to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go and feed them. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and they have rolled the stone from the well's mouth. Then we water the sheep. Now when he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near, and he rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and lifted up his voice and wept. And Jacob told Rachel that he was her father's relative and that he was Rebekah's son. So she ran and told her father. Then it came to pass when Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him into his house. And so he told Laban all these things. And Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. Then Laban said, to Jacob, because you are my relative, should you therefore serve me for nothing? Tell me, what should your wages be? Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. And Laban said, It is better that I should give her to you than that I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. Well, welcome to a love story, but a love story with a twist. A boy named Jacob, he leaves home to start a life and to find a wife. His journey leads him to a Middle Eastern watering hole in Haran, where he meets this gorgeous young shepherdess named Rachel. Verse 17 refers to Rachel as beautiful of form and appearance. In other words, both her face and her figure were attractive. She was a cover girl working as a shepherd. She was stunningly beautiful. I suppose you could call her a, a fox in sheep's clothing. Well, the stone that covered the opening of the well, it was huge, it was heavy. The shepherds usually waited on each other's arrival to water their flocks, since it required a combined effort to move the stone. But on this day, when Rachel arrives, verse 10 tells us that old Jake, he flexes his pecs and he moves the stone all by himself. Nothing like a macho demonstration of little muscle to try and impress a girl, but apparently it worked. For we're told in verse 11, then Jacob kissed Rachel. I heard it said, a boy becomes a man when he discovers it's more fun to steal a kiss than second base. Well, apparently a young Jacob is growing up. He plants a kiss on the ravishing Rachel, and we're told in verse 11, Jacob lifted up his voice and wept. I read recently of a woman over in Alabama, and you got to watch those people over in Alabama. There's something else. Well, her pet iguana stopped breathing. And believe it or not, 
she had to give the slimy reptile mouth-to-mouth resuscitation. Afterwards, she said she cried because she realized she had kissed the iguana. Well, trust me, that's not why Jacob cries. His tears here are tears of joy. He thinks he has found the gal of his dreams. But in beginning in verse 16, the plot thickens. For Rachel takes her new boyfriend home to meet dad. And Jacob should have been warned. For a young man from, fresh from mama's house was no match for a shrewd dude like Laban. Listen to what we're told in verse 16. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the elder was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Now here's the twist in our love story. In Iran, as in parts of the Middle East, even to this day, it was contrary to custom for the younger daughter to marry before her elder sister. Thus, Leah was a roadblock in Jacob's plans to marry Rachel. And to make matters worse, the prospects of Leah marrying anytime soon seemed slim. For she had an awful problem. We're told in verse 17, Leah's eyes were delicate, but Rachel was beautiful of form and appearance. Now the phrase, Leah's eyes were delicate, can mean one of two things. First, it can refer to the health of Leah's eyes. That they were weak, squinted, perhaps even cross-eyed. Rachel had these deep, beautiful pools of blue, these mesmerizing eyes. While her sister Leah had these little slits above her cheeks. I mean, awful-looking eyes. But the phrase, Leah's eyes were delicate, can also be interpreted Leah was a cause for sore eyes. In other words, the poor girl was so ugly, she made your eyes hurt when you looked at her. Either way, Rachel's sister Leah was not a very physically attractive young lady. There is actually a woman's college in England. Believe it or not, it's in the town of ugly England. And a spokeswoman for the Institute recently was quoted as saying, We try to call ourselves the Women's Institute of Ugly, but the name never sticks. And I'm sure the women of that school are glad. But oh, Leah, trust me, she could have graduated magna cum laude from the Women's Institute of Ugly. Rachel was a sight for sore eyes, while poor Leah, she made your eyes sore. Now when Laban offers to Jacob a job and tells him to set his own wages, Jacob makes an interesting request. Verse 18 reads, Now Jacob loved Rachel, so he said, I will serve you seven years for Rachel, your younger daughter. Hey, the long length of time showed the depth of Jacob's love for Rachel and probably how long he thought it would take for Leah to marry first. Verse 19, And Laban said, It is better that I give her to you than that I should give her to another man. Stay with me. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel, And they seemed only a few days to him because of the love he had for her. How beautiful is that? His love for Rachel made the time fly by. How beautiful. I believe the willingness to wait is always a characteristic of true love. Well, verse 21 moves ahead about seven years. Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife, for my days are fulfilled, that I may go into her. And Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. 
Now, you need to know that an Oriental marriage feast lasted a whole week. So for seven days, the groom and his buddies, they party hardy. This means that by the time the wedding night rolls around, old Jacob's probably sauced. He might be tanked. Verse 23 informs us, Now it came to pass in the evening that he, that is Laban, took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob went into her. Now in addition to Jacob being inebriated, the brides in those days wore these heavy veils and these long flowing robes. And since there were no electric lights in the honeymoon cottage, Jacob assumed that he was going to bed and consummating his marriage with his beloved Rachel. But verse 25 fast forwards about eight hours. So it came to pass in the morning that behold, it was Leah. And it's hard to read that line with the same sense of disappointment that Jacob had to have felt. I mean, he had been stabbed in the back. What a betrayal. And he said to Laban, what is this you've done to me? Was it not for Rachel that I served you? Why then have you deceived me? Again, Jacob kisses a girl and starts to weep. But this time for a very different reason. He has kissed the iguana. (laughs) He has spent the night with old lizard lips Leah. Now, in verse 26, Laban stuns Jacob with his answer. It must not be done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. What an ironic twist of fate. If you know your Old Testament, you'll recall that before leaving home, Jacob had stolen the rights of the firstborn from his older brother Esau. Jacob had spit in the eye of custom, and now custom was spitting back. Jacob the deceiver gets deceived. What goes around comes around. That's why honesty is always the best policy. Oh, okay. Now this Laban, he's a sly guy. He's a crafty bargainer himself. And so he makes Jacob an offer of his own. He says, fulfill her week, and we will give you this one, that is Rachel also, for the service which we will serve with me still another seven years. Laban will give Rachel to Jacob now in return for another seven years of service. And Jacob agrees. Verse 30 tells us, Then Jacob also went into Rachel, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. And he served with Laban still another seven years. Hey, never doubt Jacob's initial love for Rachel. He serves a total of 14 years for Rachel. But the question arises, what should Jacob have actually done after he woke up next to Leah? And it's my opinion that Jacob should have never married Rachel. Nowhere in the Bible does God approve of bigamy. A man was never meant to have multiple wives. In Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6, our Lord Jesus, he lays out God's ideal for marriage. Have you not read that he made them at the beginning? He made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. God's blueprint for marriage was always one man and one woman in a lifetime relationship. 
God tolerated bigamy in the Old Testament in the same way that he tolerates divorce today. But realize he never ever gave it his stamp of approval. In fact, even Jesus himself condemned bigamy. You remember the verse, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. Anyway. In other words, God never intended for a man to be married to two wives. Recently, Middle East archaeologists, they unearthed a cuneiform tablet. The translators, they, they did a lot of work deciphering this tablet. They discovered it was entitled, The Top Ten Reasons Why No Man in His Right Mind Would Want Two Wives. And I actually have with me tonight the translation from the ancient Semitic Chaldean. You ready for it? Here we go. Number 10, twice as many birthdays and anniversaries to remember. Number nine, you have to pick who gets a second garage door opener. That can be dangerous. Number eight, by the time two wives take a shower, there's no more hot water. Number seven, who can afford two dozen roses on Valentine's Day? Number six, when it's time to choose, it's now two against one. Number five, this is my favorite, your one drawer and half a foot of closet space now gets cut in half. Number four, two wives would be frowned on at the church's couple's dinner. Number three, two honeydew lists. Number two, two mother-in-laws. And the number one reason no man in his right mind would want two wives, PMS twice a month? Well, apparently, Jacob never read this top 10 list. For if he had, he would have added one more reason why two wives are not a good idea. They might not get along. Just read ahead. Jacob's family was a sordid example of infighting and envy and ugliness and bitterness and hatred and deception and manipulation. Later, when Rachel names one of her maid sons, she calls him Naphtali, which means my wrestling. And she says, with great wrestlings, I have wrestled with my sister. Trust me, Jacob lived and his kids were raised in the middle of two warring women. This was not a happy home. I believe Jacob never should have married Rachel. He should have left with Leah and learned to be content. But I can hear some of you guys say, come on, Sandy, the girl was ugly as mud, and he didn't even love her. How can you say he should have left with Leah? Hear ye, hear ye. I believe that even if Jacob didn't love her, if the two of them had conducted their marriage God's way, Jacob would have eventually loved Leah every bit as much as he initially loved Rachel. For love grows when marriage is done God's way. Love grows when marriage is done God's way. You know, it sounds funny saying it, but the feeling of love is a far overrated ingredient when it comes to success in marriage. Oh, it's important in courtship, but in marriage, it's way overblown. Successful marriages are built on commitment and sacrifice, not simply feelings. I've seen marriages where the love was depleted, but the husband and wife decided to stick it out, do things God's way, and love started to grow again. 
On the other hand, I've seen marriages abounding in loving feelings, but the couple ignored God's wisdom and the feelings dwindled as the marriage broke apart. See, if I wanted to plant a garden and I had the best seed available, yet I buried that seed in sorry, scorched, superficial soil, I don't care how good the seed was, it would fail to germinate in the sorry soil. Yet if I had inferior seed, but fertile, nutritious, moist dirt, even the sick seed would grow in the healthy soil. And so it is in marriage. Give me two people that can't even stand each other and encourage that couple to interact God's way and love will grow out of nowhere. I have seen it happen. In a letter to his daughter, Charlie Shedd passes on some important advice. He says, marriage is not so much finding the right person as it is being the right person. I want to repeat that. It's worth the price of admission. Marriage is not so much finding the right person as it is being the right person. Oh, the dating game emphasizes finding the right person and relying on chemistry to cement the marriage. But when the chemistry eventually dries up, we blame our former Mr. or Mrs. Wright. He or she must not have been the right one after all. We remind ourselves that there are other fish in the sea. We throw back our current spouse and rebate the hook. Some people keep kissing frogs thinking they'll finally find their prince or their princess. It never dawns on some people that the problem just might be them. Hey, I honestly believe you can take a man and a woman who have never seen each other but are determined to do marriage God's way, the man willing to love his wife as Christ loves the church, the woman willing to follow her husband as the church is to follow Christ, each of them caring and serving and showing compassion and giving time and sharing their hearts and living their lives for each other. You put those two people together and trust me, you'll end up with a happy marriage. Actually, this is exactly what happened to Jacob and Leah. As we're told in verse 30, in the beginning, Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. But there is strong evidence that slowly over time, Jacob's initial feelings changed. We're told in verse 31, when the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. So Leah conceived and bore a son and called his name Reuben, for she said, the Lord has surely looked on my affliction. Now, now therefore, my husband will love me. At first, your heart just breaks for Leah. She's always longing for Jacob's love. But notice what happens next. Then she conceived again and bore a son and said, Because the Lord has heard that I am unloved, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon. She conceived again and bore a son and said, Now this time my husband will become attached to me, because I have borne him three sons. Therefore his name was called Levi. Obviously, Olea kept laboring to make her marriage better. All, we're, all that's mentioned here of her efforts are her three labors, but I'm sure she labored in other ways as well to improve her marriage. Well, finally, verse 35 tells us, And she conceived again and bore a son and said, Now I will praise the Lord. Therefore she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. The implication is that all her effort paid off for with Judah, she praises God. Finally, her desires have been fulfilled. At last, she experiences the enjoyment and security of marital love and no longer feels the need to bear another child. 
Now, when you jump ahead to the end of Jacob's life, you find him making an interesting request. In Genesis 49, he's on his deathbed, and with his last breath, he makes a final dying request. He cries out, Bury me in the cave where they buried Abraham and Sarah, Isaac and Rebekah, and where I buried Leah. You would have thought Jacob would want his final resting place to be next to Rachel over in Bethlehem. But no, he asked to be buried in Mamre alongside Leah. On the first night of their marriage, Jacob resented lying next to Leah. But at the end of their road together, it was his utmost desire. Jacob wanted to make sure that until the day of resurrection, his bones would lie next to Leah's. Apparently, his heart had turned. You know, it's ironic, but Rachel died prior to Leah. Thus, Leah was the wife who ends up getting Jacob all to herself. It was Jacob and Leah who enjoyed growing old together. It's also interesting, it was through Leah, not Rachel, that Judah was born. The Messiah came through the tribe of Judah. Thus, Jesus was of the lineage of Leah, not Rachel. Perhaps this was another way of God showing, putting his stamp of approval on the union between Jacob and Leah. Their offspring became the link in the royal line. See, in the beginning, we're told, Jacob loved Rachel more than Leah. But in the end, the roles were reversed. Old lizard lips Leah became Jacob's beloved. On that awful morning, when Jacob awoke to discover he was lying next to Leah, that he had been double-crossed, he didn't seek an annulment. He realized that with God there are no accidents. God is sovereign. Nothing happens that he does not at the least allow. Jacob accepted his wife, and he built a life with Leah. Perhaps you've always felt like your marriage was somewhat of a double cross. She was pregnant and you felt it was your duty. Her home life had soured and your good job made for a convenient escape. Maybe your marriage was expected or maybe you were pressured or perhaps you both were too young or maybe you weren't seeking God at the time. Hey, you need to realize, just as Jacob did, that none of that matters. That marriage is sacred. Vows are binding. In God's plan, once you say, I do, you did. In his sovereignty, God allowed the two of you to marry. The Almighty could have stopped it. The pastor could have come down with laryngitis. A lightning bolt could have hit the chapel right before you walked down the aisle. But God chose to let it happen. The deed is now done. Now it's up to you to accept your marriage as God's will and make the best of it. You remember the old song from the 70s? I think it was written by Stephen Stills. If you can't be with the one you love, honey, love the one you're with? Well, that's biblical. Well, it's sort of biblical. I think it's biblical. But I know this is biblical. If you really love the one you're with the way God wants you to love them, you won't desire anyone else. See, you might be stuck with a Leah, but if you let him, God can turn your Leah into a lover. Now, years ago, before first teaching this passage to our church, Calvary Chapel, I prayed, Lord, what a sordid mess. 
deception and bigamy and infighting. What a terrible marriage. How can I possibly apply this sour situation to the marriages here at Calvary Chapel? And I believe the Lord gave me a figurative application that speaks to us today. Now I know it goes a little bit beyond the context, but it's not unbiblical in what it says. Here it is. I believe that just like Jacob, every married person in this room tonight is in a sense married to two people. Now stay with me. Stay with me now. If you're a man, you're married to a Leah and to a Rachel. If you're a woman, you're married to a Lee and to a Ray. Now hear me out. Every married person here tonight is wedded to a Rachel. This is the part of your spouse that you love. You are so attracted to Rachel. You adore her. This is the person who fires your engines. You could be forced to wait on this Rachel for seven long years, and your love for her would cause it to seem but a few days. But you're also married to Aaliyah. And this is the part of your spouse that was a surprise. When you married your mate, you knew you were getting Rachel, but you didn't know about this Leah. He is the ornery and ugly and selfish side of your spouse. She is the side of your spouse that was covered up and veiled and hidden before the vows were taken. Oh yes, we're also hitched to Aaliyah. And in every marriage, there are mornings like the day after Jacob's wedding night when you roll over and you look at your spouse hoping to see Rachel, but instead you cry out, Oh no, it's Leah. I have kissed the iguana. You need to come to terms with the truth. There is a Leah and a Rachel side by side in every spouse. You know, it's been said in rural Japan, a man's wife is chosen by his parents and he doesn't know who she is until after the wedding. Though the custom in America is completely different, the end result is the same. It's true. I don't care how long you date a person before you marry them, whether it's seven months or seven years or 17 years, you never learn all there is to know about your spouse. I've been married to mine for 38 years and that woman still surprises me every day. Believe me, there will definitely be some surprises after the wedding day. See, there are aspects of your spouse that resemble Leah. And hey, the blemishes were there from the beginning. But you were drunk on love and you didn't see them. Your spouse is not what you thought and it's a shock when you realize it. So the question becomes, what do you do with Aaliyah or with Lee? Well, the first morning Jacob saw her, he complained to Laban. But what did he do the next morning and the next and the morning after he left Laban's house? Here's what Jacob does. Let me read you verse 31 again. When the Lord saw that Leah was unloved, he opened her womb, but Rachel was barren. See, Jacob began to see that the fruitfulness in his life was coming from Leah, not Rachel. The offspring, the growth, the fruit was being supplied by Leah. Oh yeah, for a while, Rachel was still his choice for a good time. 
I mean, at first, he certainly took her to the company functions to make a good impression. But over time, Jacob realized that God's blessing was more on Leah than on the trophy wife. God was using Leah more than Rachel to grow Jacob and his family. Surprisingly, spiritual life and fruitfulness came more from old sore eyes than from the cover girl. And here's the application for our lives. It's often the rough edges and the ugly traits and the ornery attitudes in our spouse that cause us to grow and mature spiritually. Oh, when I'm loving and I'm sensitive and I'm compassionate, I console, I encourage my wife, I minister to her. Uh, but when I test her patience and push her kindness and tax her endurance and stretch her faith, I force her to trust in the Lord, and Jesus ministers to her. You could put it like this. When Sandy is on his best behavior, he causes Kathy to glow. But when Sandy is less than his best, he causes Kathy to grow. Fruitfulness flowed into Jacob's life through ugly Leah rather than through gorgeous Rachel. And you see, the fruit of God's Spirit will flow into your life when your spouse's blemishes force you to draw on the Lord. When my wife looks to me and I call sore eyes, it forces her to look to Jesus, and she gets blessed. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not suggesting there are no limits to our acceptance of a spouse's behavior. For example, I don't believe that a married person should ever stand idly by and bear with a promiscuous or an abusive spouse. These aren't the traits that Leah represents. When a person tolerates a beating or a cheating, it makes them an accomplice to the crime. You become part of the problem rather than part of the solution. Here's my point, though. I am simply suggesting that you learn to accept your spouse's humanness. Leah couldn't help her ugliness. And I'm sure she did the best with what she had. She styled her hair and applied lots and lots of makeup and bought lots and lots of heavy veils. And likewise, all married folks should try to be the best we can be. But the real breakthrough in this relationship came when Jacob learned to accept his wife unconditionally. Oh, we all should want to please our spouse. It glorifies God. But we all need to face the fact that no matter how hard we try, none of us are going to be perfect. Leah turned out to be a diamond in the rough, but Jacob didn't see or appreciate her beauty until he gave up trying to change her and accepted his situation. It is a wise man, it is a wise woman who stops trying to change their Leah or their Lee. I heard someone once say, the only time a woman succeeds in changing a man is when he's a baby. Or perhaps you've heard this one. Women marry men expecting to change them, while men marry women thinking they will never change. Both get disappointed. Husband, wife, it is not for you to change your spouse. Your job is to love your spouse. God will change your spouse if he or she needs to be changed. I heard a wonderful story of a wife whose husband bought her a brand new car. She was maneuvering in the mall parking lot, when she had an accident, it was all her fault. She was so worried about her husband's reaction. Well, when the police arrived, they asked her for a proof of insurance. 
Well, she opened the glove box, and along with the insurance card, there was an envelope, had a little note inside. It made her cry when she read it. The policeman asked her what, what was wrong, and all she could do was reach up and hand the note to the policeman. It was from her husband, and it read, Honey, in case of an accident, remember it's you I love, not the car. Here's a husband who decided in advance to simply love his Leah. See, this is how you turn a Leah into a lover. You accept him or her, for better or worse. You love your spouse for who they are, warts and all, sore eyes or not. Once a hillbilly wife, she commented on her wedding vows. She told her friends, them their vows say for better or worse, because he ain't going to get no better, and he sure can't get no worse, so I accept him as is. Hey, Leah was probably as ugly the day Jake buried her as the day she married her. He married her. But along the way, Jacob learned to accept her as is. And this is what you need to do for the Leah in your spouse. You see, unconditional acceptance is the miracle cure. It frees up the Leah in the person from the pressure and insecurity of never measuring up. And trust me, we're always better and more lovable when we know we can be ourselves and still be accepted. And it also frees up the Jacob in us from allowing impossible expectations to hang a constant cloud of failure and disappointment over our marriage. See, the Jake in all of us needs to stop mourning over what ain't and what can't and start enjoying what is. We get so fixated on the 10% negative in our spouse we forget the 90% positive, all that we fell in love with in the first place. We forget that Leah and Rachel live side by side. On her 50th wedding anniversary, a wife shared the secret to her long, happy marriage. She says, on my wedding day, I decided to make a list of 10 of my husband's faults, which for the sake of our marriage, I would overlook. A guest asked her, well, what 10 faults did you list? Well, she sort of shrugged and she said, well, to tell you the truth, I never got around to listing them. But whenever my husband did something that made me hopping mad, I'd say to myself, lucky for him, that's one of the ten. <laughs> hey, forgiveness, mercy, tolerance, compassion, acceptance, gentleness, kindness. That's all stuff that we as Christians are supposed to be good at. And you see, these are the same ingredients that transform Aaliyah into a lover. Each one of us wants and expects our mate to accept the Lee in us. But this evening, I'm asking you to trust God to help you accept the Leah in her. Husband, don't you think it's time to give your wife a break? She does the best she can. Those kids are so demanding. Her job is never over. She needs your time and your attention. And wife, don't you think you ought to cut your husband some slack? I mean, the old boy's come a long way. And he carries a lot of responsibility. He loves you and he loves those kids and he wants to be a godly man. Why don't you support him even when he doesn't do all that he'd like, you'd like? See, each married person has a choice tonight. We can focus on the thorns that are on the rose or we can focus on the rose that is among the thorns. 
Our cup is either half empty or it's half full. It's up to us. See, if you want to have a fruitful marriage, then the two of you need to decide to simply love your Leah. Father, thank you for your word to us tonight. Lord, I thank you so much for the marriages that are represented here. And Lord, I pray that we would realize it's not all that complicated. It's not as hard as we thought it was. How things would change if we just started loving each other the way you love us. Lord, I pray that you would bless each marriage here. Unconditional acceptance is the miracle cure. And I pray you would teach us all, Lord, how to love our Leah. And Lord, as we do, we might just find out that we have something very, very special. Bless each marriage here tonight. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. Thank you.